Salvete omnes, welcome to the AP Latin Podcast. The goal of this podcast will be to cover the lines from Caesar's De Bello Gallico and Virgil's Aeneid that are found on the AP Latin curriculum. Each two-part episode will cover a selection of lines from Caesar and Virgil. I will present the Latin and English of the text, providing relevant clarification, background, and cultural information that will help put the readings in their proper context. I encourage you to read along with me as you listen to the Latin and to use the English as a way to check your understanding rather than relying on the English for understanding. Each episode will conclude with some essential questions to consider as you process through the meaning of the text. Parati, eamos. AP Latin Podcast, Episode 17a, De Bello Gallico, Book 5, Chapters 40 and 41. In this episode, you will learn that they attack them and that they are building defenses while waiting on them to help them against them. A brief note about the passage before we start the Latin. The speech the Nervii give to Quintus Cicero and Cicero's response use multiple pronouns and demonstratives to refer to the different parties involved in the negotiation. In English, due to a lack of specific referential pronouns, each of the three distinct Latin demonstrative words used within the section all become they or them, causing confusion as to who is the subject and the object and when people are speaking about themselves, the other, or a third party not present. In my English translation, I have added referential nouns to most of the ambiguous pronouns for the sake of clarity. Understand that these nouns are not present in the Latin, as the Latin pronoun and demonstrative system is robust enough to differentiate clearly between at least four different parties by using different words. Now on to the Latin. Mituntur ad Caesarem confestem ab Cicerone literae, magnis propositis primiis, si pertulisent. Obsessis omnibus viis, missi intercipiuntur. Noctu ex materia quam munitionis causa comportaverant, tures ad modum centum vigenti excitantur incredibili celeritate, quae de esse operi videbantur perficiuntur. Hostes postero die, multa maioribus coactis copiis castra opugnant, fossam complent. Ea demoratione qua pridie ab nostris resistitur. Hoc idem reliquis deinceps fit diebus, nulla pars nocturni temporis ad laborem intermittitur, non aigris non vulneratis facultas quietis datur. Quaecumque ad proximi diei opugnationem opus sunt noctu comparantur, multi priustae sudes, magnus murialium pilorum numerus instituitur, tures contabulantur, Penae loricaeque ex cratibus atexuntur. Ipse Cicero, cum tenuissima valitudine eset, ne nocturnum quidem sibi tempus ad quietem relinquebat, ut ultro militum concursu ac vocibus sibi parcere cogeretur. Tunc duces principesque nerviorum, qui aliquem sermonis aditum causamque amicitiae cum Cicerone habebant, colloqui sese vele dicunt. Facta potestate eadem quae ambiorix cum titurio egerat commemorant. Omnem esse in armis Galliam, Germanos renum transisse, Caesaris reliquorum quae hiberna opugnari. Adunt etiam de Sabini morte, ambiorigem ostentant, videi faciendae causa. Errare eos dicunt, si quicquam ab eis praesidi sperent qui suis rebus diffidant. Sese tamen hoc esse in Ciceronem populumque Romanum animo, ut nihil nisi hiberna recusent, 
atque hanc in veterascara consuetudinem nolent. Licera illis in columibus per se exhibernis discedera, et quascumque in partes velent sine metu proficisci. Cicero ad haec unum modo respondit, non esse consuetudinem populi Romani acipera ab hoste armato condicionem. Si ab armis discedera velent, se adjutore utantur, legatosque ad caesarem mitant, sperare pro eus justitia quae petierent impetraturos. Letters are sent to Caesar immediately from Cicero, with great rewards offered if they had delivered them. With all the roads occupied, those sent were intercepted. At night, out of the lumber which they had brought in for the sake of fortification, no less than 120 towers are raised with incredible speed. The things which seem to be lacking for the work are finished. The enemies on the following day, with much greater forces collected, attack the camp. They fill up the trench. It is resisted by our men in the same manner as on the day before. This same thing happens on the rest of the days, one after the other. No part of the night time is omitted to the work. Not for the sick, not for the wounded is an opportunity of rest given. Whatever things are needed for the next day's attack are prepared at night. Many stakes are burned at the end. A great number of wall pikes are put in place. Towers are floored with planks. Palisades and battlements from wicker work are woven on. Cicero himself, although he was in very delicate health, was not even leaving the night time to himself for rest, such that spontaneously by the rushing together and voices of the soldiers he was compelled to spare himself. Then the leaders and the chiefs of the Nervii, who had some approach of conversation and cause of friendship with Cicero, say that they want to converse. After the ability had been granted, they relate the same things which Ambiorx had done with Titurius, that all Gaul was in arms, that the Germani had crossed the Rhine, that the winter camps of Caesar and of the rest were being attacked. They also add about the death of Sabinus. They point out Ambiorix for the sake of establishing trust. They, the Nervii, say that they, Cicero's camp, are making a mistake. If they, Cicero's camp, hope for any kind of help from these, the Romans in the other camps, who are despairing of their own situations. That they, the Nervii, however, are in this mind towards Cicero and the Roman people. That they refuse nothing except the winter camp, and they do not want this practice to become established. That it is permitted to them, Cicero's camp, by themselves, the Nervii, to depart unharmed from their winter camp and to set out into whatever parts they wish without fear. Cicero only responds one thing to this, that it is not the custom of the Roman people to accept terms from an armed enemy. If they, the Nervii, wish to depart from their arms, they may use himself, Cicero, as a helper and send ambassadors to Caesar that he hopes that before his, Caesar's, justice, they, the Nervii, will obtain what they have sought. Last time, Quintus Cicero's winter camp had barely managed to withstand the Nervii's surprise attack. Cicero responds in two ways. One, he tries to send messages to Caesar, which can't get past the Gallic blockades. And two, the camp goes into overdrive trying to finish constructing the fortifications. They spend the days resisting the Gallic attacks and the knights repairing and preparing everything needed to withstand the next day. There's a lot of terminology in this section that is unique to a Roman military camp, so I want to take a moment to go over the basic structure of a Roman castra or hiberna. A Roman legion would begin constructing a camp fortification by digging a fossa, a trench encircling the perimeter of the camp. The dirt from digging the trench would be used to make a rampart called a wallum, on the top of the wallum would be a palisade of sharp, fire-hardened stakes. 
or in a more permanent camp, a murus, a defensive wall made of wood or stone. Inside of the wallum would be an open area called the interwallum, putting space between the wall of the camp and the buildings inside the camp and making them less vulnerable to enemy projectiles. Caesar also mentions the construction of tures. This word signifies both stationary and movable towers. A legion-sized camp always placed stationary towers at regular intervals along the wall, and movable towers would be used when besieging an enemy stronghold. The towers would be around 30 feet high and would have open spaces at the sides and behind with the side facing the enemy reinforced. Their purpose is to give the soldiers a higher position to defend against the enemy or to allow them to reach the top of an enemy's walls. Lorikai literally means body armor, like a leather or metal breastplate, but in reference to camp fortification it refers to a defense of any kind that encircles the top of a wall or tower, such as a fence or palisade around the outside edge. It would be roughly four feet high and would protect the bodies of the soldiers standing at the walls. Pinai literally means feathers, but in reference to camp fortifications it refers to small raised sections or stakes added to the top of the wall or towers with spaces at regular intervals through which soldiers could throw spears or shoot arrows or otherwise rain death upon their foes. Pinai and Lorikai are often translated as battlements and parapets, which together make the crenellation, the blocky zigzag shape at the top of a castle at the end of a Super Mario Bros. level. It's not exactly the same, but it gives you a good enough idea. So Cicero and his legion are laboring night and day to withstand the siege on their camp, and Cicero is working himself to the point of exhaustion, such that his men compel him to take a break so his already tenuous health would not fail him. This detail gives us insight into the respect that Cicero's men had for him as a leader. And already we can see how much this situation is mirroring that of Sabinus and Cotta, but with slight differences. Against both camps there is an attack which the Romans withstand. But against Sabinus and Cotta there is one attack which is easily resisted. Against Cicero the attack is barely withstood and goes on for several days. The Nervii present the exact same argument that Ambiorix had used against Sabinus and Cotta, even adding on a little bit, that they are only opposed to the winter camp and they don't want it to become a regular practice, and about the death of Sabinus. But where Sabinus and Cotta spend the night debating whether or not to leave and were indecisive, Cicero makes the confident decision that Romans don't negotiate with armed enemies, directly echoing the wounded Cotta's refusal to parley with an armed enemy at the end of their battle. Both camps spend the night awake, but Sabinus and Cotta's men were rushing around trying to decide what to leave behind and what to pack in a chaotic and disorganized way, where Cicero's are working as hard as they can to withstand the next day's siege in a methodical and ordered fashion. When Sabinus wants to speak with Ambiorix during the battle, Ambiorix gives permission for the talks to happen. When the Nervii want to speak with Cicero, Cicero grants the ability. The power dynamic is different, with the Romans working from their typical position of dominance and superiority. And even during their respective conversations, the sentence structures of the responses mirror each other. Ambiorix says that he hopes Sabinus will obtain what he requests from the multitude. Cicero states that he hopes the Nervii will obtain what they request from Caesar. Both responses beginning with sperare and using a form of the word impetrare as the indirect statement verb, further contrasting the power dynamics in the two situations. There is one phrase inside the Nervii speech that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Why would they point out Ambiorix to establish their credibility? Caesar is vague as to what exactly this statement means, but it does imply that it is not Ambiorix making the case to the Romans this time. Since he was the leader of the Eberones, not the Nervii, it would make sense for Ambiorix not to lead these negotiations. Recall that news of Sabinus' death had not reached Cicero's camp, 
And so this phrase could simply refer to Ambiorix acting as a witness to news of Sabinus's death and not telling Cicero about his personal involvement in deceiving and killing the Romans, just that he saw it happen. It could also refer to Ambiorix corroborating the news about the Germani crossing the Rhine, or his confirmation of the attacking of all of the Roman winter camps, or any or all of the above. Regardless, Cicero's response is unyielding, that he won't negotiate with an armed enemy, and that he will help the Nervii in their talks with Caesar if they lay down their arms. So the stage is set, Cicero's camp has made the opposite decision of Sabinus and Cotta's. They are facing a larger Gallic force and a several-day siege. They can't get messages out to any other camp, and they are burning the candle at both ends just to withstand the attacks each day. We already know how Sabinus and Cotta's decision turned out, but we will have to wait and see if Sabinus's earlier prediction of death through long-drawn-out siege will be prophetic or not. As we close out the episode, here are some essential questions to consider. How does Caesar convey how hard Cicero's men worked to defend their camp? How did the soldiers under Cicero's command seem to regard him? Where are there parallels between this episode and the events in Sabinus and Cotta's camp? Is it ironic that someone as treacherous as Ambiorix was used to establish credibility? Why or why not? How is what the Nervii say similar to and different from what Ambiorix says to Sabinus and Cotta? How is Caesar present in the narrative even though he is not at Cicero's camp? Gratias ago pro auscultando, valete. <laughs>